welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. So we have a, a field recording for you this week, or a live podcast, really. I just say field recording because of the sound quality, because we used our, you don't need to know. Anyway, it's one of two that we recorded on our recent trip to Ireland. It is a conversation with a fella called Archie O'Donnell. Archie has been a face on the green building scene in Ireland for as long as Jeff. So while we were all in the country together, Jeff thought he would be a good person for us to meet up with and have a Zero Ambitions conversation. By that, I mean one that was recorded to listen to. But it was good. Archie's an interesting fella to speak to for a lot of reasons. But in this instance, because he's been on the scene for so long. I've been trained up as an architect, an architectural technologist. He's now in the consultancy trade, looking at the cost of sustainability, not just pounds, shillings and pence or euro, but looking at cost versus impact. We had a good chat about where things are up to now, talked about price and risk, the impact of the EU taxonomy and the imminent evolutions in energy rating systems the Irish BER and the EPC, planning, energy, the language of sustainability. It was a lot of fun. It was really interesting. I've never met him before. He's just been one of them faces on LinkedIn. Oh, and um, Jeff hit upon something in likening the accounting around sustainability to Calvin Ball, the made-up game from the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, the game with a an esoteric and obscure scoring system, which had few coherent rules. Anyway, I'll let you hear the conversation for yourself. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Right, we are recording. We'll see how it comes out. We've got both of them on, on the go. Um, so what was that show you're recommending? The Curse. The Curse. It is, yeah. it's really good. It's kind of, uh, Nathan Fielder, who's one of the stars of it and creators of it, uh, is great at making uh, quite painful television as well. Um, yeah. He's, um, uh, I think he's probably autistic. Um, my son's autistic, uh, but I'd say... He, Some of those people are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, he comes across uh, like uh, like uh, like he might be autistic, um, but he, he's, uh, he's, he's brilliant. Not autistic, but brilliant, but you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff's very judgmental. He's very damning of his son. Yeah. No, I've got, a, I've got a business coach. I was, um, last company I was with, uh, they did a wonderful thing where they would set you up with a business coach, which would, you know, help you achieve your goals and, and you could kind of work on any weaknesses you have, but specifically to, to make your strengths a lot better. Yeah. And it didn't work for me. But what was recommended was to go with a, an ADHD coach. Oh, right. And she's brilliant, but she works with a lot of a entrepreneurs. Coach, where, well, this is a, a coach who has yeah. ADHD, or were they suggesting that you have ADHD? Both. <laughs> Both. So, it's, so they understand. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a different world. But what she was saying is so many creatives, so many entrepreneurs, so many risk takers, or so many people who kind of take a different lens on the world would have that kind of, would have... Uh, a certain amount of ADHD and it's so that's somewhere on the spectrum but yeah. you can actually turn it to a positive all of these things can be potentially mm. yeah, yeah. Um, right so 
Jeff, you suggested we have a chat with Archie today. And yeah. Very clearly, you're on the money. But what was it that, that made you think you would be a good person to I was, speak with? Uh, there was no one else. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Archie's great. Um, I know Archie getting on for... What the hell is that? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like some oh, rave eight, music. No, that's, that's my <laughs> intro music. It's my theme tune. <laughs> it's Spotify. I don't know why Spotify is playing. I mean, it sounds like she's playing some Spotify at all minutes. Is that what's happening? Launched itself somehow. Um, so basically, Archie um, and I go back nearly, I mean, it must be 2005 or six or something. Early yeah, enough, yeah, you know. Yeah, five or six, yeah. And um, Archie was involved in uh, AESCA, the Sustainable uh, Construction Association that I was involved in setting up back then. And um, he's kind of lingered around like a bad smell ever since, you know, uh, in this space. He, but he's... AESCA was the Environmental and Sustainable Construction Association. Yeah, it was, ven- it was eventually subsumed into the AECB. And uh, the word AESCA means easy, is that right? Yeah. Ushin yeah, yeah. proudly coming up with that the I know yeah. sub manager not to be confused with Iska which is fish <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah uh, it so Archie would have been a board member of Iska and stuff and um and uh, I would have come across him on pa- early passive house projects that we wrote about too and another uh, low energy renewable project but he's always had this He's always impressed me in that he's ha- has because I suppose he's got this genuine interest in the subject um, and ability to do kind of deep dives um, and to think about things quite broadly. He pops up all the time with uh, with interesting, nuanced, detailed pieces or, or arguments around uh, loads of different aspects of sustainable building. And uh, he went from the, so he he went from his own practice uh, integrated was integrated it? energy. To uh, to I3PT, who've now become Catalyst, and now he's working for the Danes. And um, we have come because we heard about the harp. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So come here. um, uh, Could you just you can give a bit a little bit of background on who you are and uh, and why we should uh, waste our time with you? Well, first of all, are you recording this? And how did you get into the building? No, I suppose I've taken an interesting transect through the through the industry, um, and I think construction is is a wonderful industry in that regard. That you know you can you can move around in the different fields of it, you know from from architecture to compliance to uh, at this stage sustainability, and 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 further into the the economics of 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 building. So it's been a a good journey to go through that and and it's been wonderful to partner with different individuals that are on a similar trajectory so they might have started in a different you know from a different starting point but what i do find is that it used to be a real niche area when we used to meet up and talk about about passive house yeah it was very marginal it was you know you might have a small handful of clients that wanted to really push the the envelope in terms of and it was energy efficiency at the time and indoor comfort and, and health. But that's now broadened where in the current day, what you're seeing is the financial industry is saying, look, we want to safeguard our product and we want to make sure that it has green credentials. Mm. So it has become a lot more, more mainstream. 
And so everyone is on a similar journey, but the difference is that they're taking different speeds. So you'll see out there that you have some organizations, some designers that have a really deep understanding of this, while at the same time, you have other groups that are saying, well, we want to add somewhat of a green hue yeah, yeah. To, our, to our product or to our, our, our developments. And I think it's difficult to navigate that. And I think particularly in, in 2024, we're going to find out that, you know, that, that there is a huge difference between those that talk about it and those that are actively doing. And often you don't yeah. hear about the companies that are really pushing, um, you know, their green agenda, where they're, they're actively tracking uh, a decarbonization target that's not way over the horizon. They're not talking about net zero by 2050. Yeah. They're saying, we're going to decarbonize all of our operations in the next, you know, in the next six or seven years. We're going to decarbonize by 8% a year until we hit that. And we have active plans, targets, uh, projects ongoing to hit that target. Mm. Mm. And, and that's really the difference is um, the, the groups out there, that the groups that are actually, you know, doing meaningful actions about sustainability and decarbonization have become a niche again. So there is that, that, that niche group. So you're kind of distinguishing between uh, people who are really at it and, uh, and have a, a, a meaningful uh, or, or a, a really uh, deep level of understanding and interest in the subject and the blow-ins perhaps who are good at um, I, I don't want to be pejorative, but there, uh, oh, I do. Well, no, we can be pejorative. Yeah, I do like being pejorative. Like, fairness, yeah. I, I, there's well-meaning blow-ins, and then there's people who are just coming along like eco-spivs who are kind of uh, uh, claiming that, that, they, that, they, that they have all the answers. You know? Yeah, I wrote loads of ASG horseshit in the past. Yeah. Like, I wrote plenty of good, well-meaning work for people who were trying to make a difference, but yeah, there's lots of people who don't really care. What I think is well interesting now is, so we're meeting a, a large developer tomorrow who is committing to making really serious progress in terms of operational performance. Yeah. Like I don't think I can say... I wouldn't who, say too much, but yeah. like uh, I'll let it in if we're allowed, like if they say we can name them. Yeah. But like, you know, that PLC, and man, that they're committed to doing something that they don't have to. Because they see it as a, well, they see it as a money-making opportunity. They're they're hedging their bets for the future. Yeah. Because I mean, we were talking. They know the buildings really need to actually perform. Is the critical element, and that I think is extraordinary to see a, a big developer starting to 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 recognise that and and actually try and do something about it. You know. Well, it's because, and this is the reason why I was particularly interested in speaking with you today, Archie, is because it's all about money in it. Like, it's about the risk. Because if they're producing building assets that are compromised by climate change or uh, carbon counting or pricing further down the line, well, they're fucked, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or the value of their asset is and how the whole project has been priced. I mean, we were speaking with someone from a major financial institution this morning, just having coffee, having this very same conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, bloody hell, what do we do? How do we get people to push the envelope harder than uh, building controls are demanding? Like, how do we encourage the We're industry? not demanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're trying to do that on top of, you know, an industry that 
has built resilience in you know into its um its its operations uh but resilience in terms of being profitable you know uh being able to build a product that the market wants um and being able to sell that mm. and to ask them then to kind of retool that whole industry to be sustainability focused is very difficult and it's especially difficult if you don't have really the language or the tools to do that mm. and so one of the difficulties here is that it takes so long to get products off the ground get them through permitting and and through all the various um, procedures like planning and fire engineering and then to get them delivered at at a price that the market can can withstand mm. and i think that's the challenge so when you layer sustainability on top of that it, that can fundamentally change your whole delivery you know so you're you're i mean looking at some of those plcs they've got very good at delivering high outputs of of housing uh, in particular locations um you know it may be greenfield site it may be urban infill but it's a particularly good product it's built to last it's it's you know <laughs> concrete built is better built but it's it's mm, a very well built mm. product particularly considering where we were you know 10 15 there years has been, ago yeah it's with, important with to recognize there has been progress in fairness building. Yeah. so yeah. you know a, a sustainability a sustainable building is a building that's built to last essentially but when you come in now and you say well because we're putting a focus on embodied carbon we want you to change your entire product from what you've developed and tested and and you know watched perform in use to a completely different product so to go from cavity block work to go to directly to modular is a very difficult mm. um step change for an organization so why um it, it's an entirely different design so the 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 product that the market likes now in terms of housing is you know it's your brick built um almost edwardian style style house it looks you know it's, it's it looks very solid from the outside it's brick it's stone it might be timber inner leaf but it has a very particular shape and design and language to change that to modular it's a very different set of materials it almost changes the design so you go from something that's very you know uh kind of the 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 shires or the the, the home counties into something that's very i thought you were talking about Dutch. the hobbit for a second yeah because <laughs> some of the eco houses that's been the case in the past more yeah yeah so you're you're creating a radically different product i know in um in Ballymun when they did that wonderful redevelopment of the whole the, the the that whole district yeah um when people were moving into their homes they were told you've got a wonderfully efficient very modern house and they said yeah i know but i'd still prefer one of those houses that you know the private houses that are over there mm. that looked kind of chocolate box and that, yeah that th there is a challenge a challenge with that so to i mean you hear it talked about house 4.0 you know so the, the next iteration of house design is that going to be a major a major change in the product that the industry is is delivering so how is that going to be done? is that going to be more like a townhouse is it you know you're not going to have your your front and back garden you're parking for two cars in the front um is it going to be a lot more compact a lot more vertical and i think that's the challenge really for for the industry is that sustainability and particularly if you're following a science-based decarbonization target with that 
where you have to do the majority of the heavy lifting in, in, in reducing your carbon footprint between now and 2035. That's a massive change for them to make. And is that going to have big changes in the form, the mm. shape, the design of a building? So if we're asking designers to completely change what they have been taught, if we're asking the industry to change how it procures and delivers, I think that's a challenge. And I suppose the problem is that we need everyone from suppliers to designers. And the big gap at the moment is in, in terms of legislation and uh, building control. They all need to be on board. So you know, where you see that is is with uh, mass timber and with modern methods of construction that you know we insist on agrimont yet the process for agrimont is slow and it's it's got its own limitations so mm. how do you make that industry change when the industry is 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 has a certain built-in inertia which has been a good thing for us over the last decade how do you actually change that to have an industry that's agile reactive outcome focused and and is able to completely pivot from a product that's traditionally made with heavy uh, robust materials to something very different that's lightweight and built for uh, disassembly. I think it was um, yeah. Bannister Fletcher who said, you know, how much does your building weigh, Mr. Foster? And like, if you look where we are here today, if you look at the buildings around there, they're built to last. They've precast concrete, they've concrete they're, they're They're built to withstand, you know, um, you know, uh, they're, they're built... The zombie apocalypse. Zombie yeah. apocalypse, yeah. yeah. They're built to withstand the test, the, the, you know, the test of time. They're, um, they have a long life built into them, but they're very heavy buildings and therefore that concrete and steel weight is almost equivalent to carbon. And I wonder as well, a lot of the architectural convention in terms of sustainable architecture uh, uh, in the past... Um, and I don't know who designed it. Well, I should say, so today we're in uh, UC, University College Dublin. Uh, Archie is kindly um, uh, meeting us here. Dan and Alex are in Ireland uh, for a, a bit of work. Um, and um, we've taken the opportunity to do this, record this podcast in person. Um, but UCD, the campus here is lovely. Um, I, uh, I don't know who designed this particular building, but I know that some of the... Scott Tellen Walker. Okay. So uh, Ireland's kind of... Um, uh, foremost modernist architecture firm, you would say, probably, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. historically. Um, and they're still going, obviously, and still doing important work. But um, the conventions of sustainable architecture in the past would have been things like passive solar, um, uh, natural vent ventilation, thermal mass, um, uh, you know, uh, and a lot, hence a lot of use of concrete as a yeah. consequence of that. You're so, saying passive solar with disdain as well. I am. I mean, I'm. You know, uh, I passive solar can be useful. Uh, the thing that makes me flinch is when architects uh, talk about maximizing passive solar with their design. <laughs> Fuck off! Like, I mean, it's it's that's highly irresponsible in a climate crisis and when we're building low energy buildings. Optimizing for, is yeah. the word. You for know? anyone who doesn't know what we're alluding to, it's the overheating of yeah. passive solar. And also, uh, you know, uh, I remember. I won't say who, because he won't thank me for this, but because um, <laughs> uh, he owns a, 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 pass, a passive solar house, a fella uh, on this island who has a passive solar house, and then he has an Enerfit property that his partner has. Um, uh, and um, so they've got an interesting frame of reference to compare the two. And the passive solar house, he says, um, 
it's fucking it's freezing in in the winter and it's boiling in the summer um and uh the maintenance of the glass is just enormous because there's so much of it you know um whereas the enerfit it's just it's just trundles through uh, you know oblivious more or less oblivious to whatever's going on now what, what i was wondering when you said uh that we have to sort of get rid of that inertia but i'm just wondering actually if you could argue that you don't need to get rid of the inertia the inertia is what makes industry function. Yeah. Are we not more going through a, a transition period where we need to move sort of from one direction of inertia to another? Because the way I see it is that we don't know what's going to happen. We know there's climate change. The We need to change the way we make buildings, the way they operate, the way they function. And we're sort of all going through it and sort of discovering and learning new things. Is it not more about making sure that we have to just go through this wilderness period to arrive to a point when we've now all come up to speed and we all know how to build these new buildings in a new way and then the inertia can continue in that way. Because that, I think, is a strength. And once we know what the codes are and that everyone's behind it and the, the laws are in place and that the, the culture is also in that, in that direction, then we're good, aren't we? Or do we have to become, as you say, much more agile and be able to react uh, over time, are we going to? In fact, I suppose my question is: Are we going to have to be changing all the time to to adapt? Is that possibly happen? because we don't know which pathway or which scenario mm -hmm. we're we're following? So the the big challenge here is just in literacy. Mm -hmm. Now, I forgot to ask: Are we having a conversation about sustainability, about ESG, about energy efficiency, about decarbonisation? There are so many <laughs> different lenses to you know, this area and this topic. Mm. And you can sometimes go into a discussion where, you know, it's got a very set agenda, um, but find that all the talking heads are talking about completely different things. And yeah. they're all using their own yeah. acronyms. You know, for some of them, they're, they're, they're using tools like GRESP and GRI, and somebody else is talking about getting lead credits, and someone else is like, no, we're going to get science-based targets to make sure that we hit 1.5 degrees by 2035 or so. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's all this noise and, you know, the, the, the chairman of the meeting stands up and storms off and said, let's just get a better EPC score, a better BER, and let's just leave it at that for now. <laughs> so that is, that is the challenge that it, it you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of learning to be done. But first of all, I mean, the first small steps are, we just all got to be aligned around, you know, what are the goals here? And let's just set some targets. An example of that is um, there's great work in, in London in particular in with the, the voluntary Letty uh, guide and how that's been used within the London plan for planning. Mm. But so often you'll see that just transposed to the Irish context, not realizing that the UK is a very different location to here in terms of its... It's a very different context. It has a, a much greener grid. It has different supply chains. It has different ways of, of, of building very tight, compact sites and, mm. and uh, high-volume buildings. So it becomes very difficult to transpose, you know, the benefits from the UK to Ireland. We have the same issue with taking, uh, you know, the learnings that we have from Denmark and bringing them mm. to Ireland. It's a very, it's a very different context, but. What you can see is that no matter what way you come at this, the outcome is the same and you have to go through the same steps. So, you know, anybody, if you were inventing all of this sustainability, ESG, green badging, the whole ecosystem, you'd still kind of cut it the same way. And the way you have to do it is start off with that kind of 
interaction with the stakeholders and find out, well, you know, what do you really want? Mm. When you talk about all this stuff. So we call that sometimes we say, look, there's a there's a very unsophisticated ask for a very sophisticated response. So someone will say, I need to improve my ESG scores. How do I do that? And the way you say, well, are you asking the wrong question? Mm. Let's get your people around the table. Let's see what good looks like for your company, for the type of assets you own, and even on the societal side, like who, you know, who are you trying to improve? And in essence, like you can boil a lot of this ESG and sustainability about, you know, we want to make a statement, a transparent statement to our stakeholders, our investors and the public to say, look, this company, we are not bad people. You know, we're, we're doing everything right. We're trying to get everything right. Yeah. But the problem is nobody quite knows the starting line. So as a very start, you know, in 2024, if they say, OK, let's we're not really sure where we're going. And, and, and that's kind of the issue about the inertia. We're not sure where we're going. We know it's going to be a challenge. But we have to actually know where we're starting. So that baseline, being able to say, what do our, how do our buildings really perform? And you know, Jeff, we spoke about this with, with heat pumps, you know, mm. with, with um, performance of housing that might have a, an A-rated BER. Yeah. How is it actually performing in actuality? And that's really to look at, well, the measure for sustainability used to be energy efficiency, but you could have a very energy efficient building and find that when you measure that against carbon targets, that it's actually not green at all, it's quite brown. And that's really the challenge is to, I suppose, reconcile all these factors and boil them down just into what, what's the ambition of the people in that room? What's the, 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 the goals? And then turn that into metrics. So is, is this, so referring to a bunch of conversations we've had today before this one, including while we were just chatting over lunch, isn't this where we look to this, the EU taxonomy? to provide like an exogenic force like some the biggest beast out there enters the the fray forces everyone to speak the same language forces everyone across the world to make sense of the challenge in the same way like the taxonomy and the demands it's going to make of the built environment uh, in terms of uh, accounting for itself and sustainability reporting all the way through the supply chain i know that's a slightly separate thing but sustain, the demands of sustainability reporting on the finance industry is itself having an impact on the construction industry, ship rolls downhill. So we were talking about the admin burden that's going to be placed on all sorts of stakeholders throughout the built environment. Mm. Isn't this the way we end up speaking the same language? Because the taxonomy, just the fucking name is appalling. I know. What does it even yeah. mean, I know. the EU taxonomy? Like it's this, this terrible spectre that has everyone shiting themselves. But it's no, I don't need to reference Peaky Blinders. Well, um, <laughs> it's the bit. All right. So, do you remember uh, Thomas Shelby? He's met his match with Adrian Brody, the the Italian gangsters, and uh, they're much better funded. He doesn't know how to to overcome them. So, what he does is he reaches out to Al Capone to uh, annihilate Adrian Brody's New York gangsters. Because he recognised he needed a much bigger force to have the impact that he wanted. Like, that's what we got with EU, potentially. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the EU. I'm not a Brexiter. But it, it does some great things. It does some appalling things. Yeah. 
But this feels like a thing that what well, we we need because to your point, like the inertia throughout the industry, construction don't like change. I mean, no industry really likes change. So this is a thing that's forcing people to think twice to change their behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what exogenic means. You're spending oh, too much time with Jeff and getting. <laughs> no, I wouldn't fucking use that word. From without the the prevailing system, so yeah. uh, COVID was an exogenic shock. Uh, that's where I learned the word from that whole period. Yeah, yeah, and you could say that the the cohesiveness of the the EU uh, played a role in that, but not not to get into that. I mean, taxonomy is you know we talked about climate literacy. And it is having a, a, a dictionary or having at least starting with a common ground. So, I mean, the, the European Green Deal is, is what's driving a lot of this. And that's saying that within Europe, we have our fair share of the remaining carbon budget. And we have to divvy that out in a certain way to countries and to, to industries. And that will eventually trickle down or be scaled down to your particular asset or building. And you'll have a certain budget that you can use in any particular year. So where, I suppose where the challenge for the EU, and you see that you'll speak with this with, uh, sorry, Kieran Cuff will speak about this with the EPBD, is, you know, uh, all the EU countries are using um, their kind of EPC scoring, but they all have different <laughs> measures, particularly because they all have different amount of cooling degree days and heating degree days and, and building typologies. So when you map all them, it you know instead of having a nice green line that runs at, at A across all the buildings and a, a a dark orange line that's the 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 D's and E's, it's all over the place. Even in in uh, Belgium, they yeah. have three different uh, systems. So how do you harmonise all that? Pass the house. <laughs> it's international. It's, yeah, simple. Until One word. North America. I know, but oh. passive, passive house is only operational energy, really. You know, I know there's passive house plus. And well, it's, it is, but it's comfort and indoor quality up to a point as well, you know. Yeah, but it is, look, it is. It is the, the, well, you're right, it's the, not everything. You know. the, the advantage of it is that as we move toward, the EPD is putting a focus on measured energy, and passive house is particularly good at that, that the correlation between modeled versus actual is quite close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to the, the Institute's credit, Passive House Institute, they're not just advocating for the zealous pursuit of Passive House. There, there may be a bit of a, there may be an element of complacency about having solved energy efficiency within homes, but they are trying, they are getting to grips with the problem of embodied carbon, uh, not just thinking about operational carbon, which is a, an interesting development. Yeah. And uh, we run the Buildings Action Coalition with, who was it, the, on their webinar, where they were talking about, I can't remember who it was from the Institute, she was talking about the... She was talking Susanna about Winkle. That's it. Yeah. She was advocating for retrofit, but not necessarily to NFIT standards. So not necessarily retrofit to passive air standards, but doing something that just made a bloody difference. Right. Well, there's a, good, there's a good point, sorry, Jeff. There's a good point there about um, scaling, and I think it's important. Like, when you talk about net zero... It's, it's pretty, I think you talked to John Butler about this, that it's pretty much impossible to get a building on its own to net zero, that you can decarbonize well, not a building. Well, zero, you can't. You can, net zero, you can, uh, if, with, with dodgy accountancy practices, yeah, maybe. You know. Yeah, but I think off... Net zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the, the credibility of, of offsetting has been shot. But really what, what we most likely see happen 
is that you see net zero strategies at the district scale where you have smart grids, you're sharing uh, energy, you've near site renewables, um, you know, you've the transport infrastructure built into to you know to your buildings and you have buildings buildings that are cooling will share that waste heat with with buildings that need it for say residential buildings that need it for hot water so i suppose the 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 decarbonization route on buildings will only take you so far so they say kind of get your building to 45 kilowatts and i think that's equivalent to to passive house heat demand at 15 kilowatts that's as far as you can likely take it. You mean you mean you're talking about primary energy of of uh, uh, forty five kilowatt hours per square meter per annum? Um, are you? Yeah. For space, for space, space uh, the regulated regulated energy. So yeah. yeah. Oh, so so oh, in other words, you mean yeah, you mean space heating and hot water as well. The, yeah, that'd yeah. be your EPC okay. plus fans and uh, yeah, the, ventilation. Et so work, yeah. regulated energy is the energy you can you can everything part of the plug loads. running of the house. Yeah. And unregulated is all your devices in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the, I mean, that's the the I suppose the energy the energy gap is you know um, yeah I don't want to, I don't want to go there with the energy gap, but <laughs> essentially what we're seeing with sustainability that regardless of what language of sustainability you're using, whether it is ESG or BRIAM or whether it's down to you know, your energy efficiency, your cooling, your renewables, that you really have to start these conversations at a macro level mm. where you're looking at strategy and you're not getting into the, the, the acronyms or you're not getting into the reads too much. You're just saying, what's the goal here? So you end up having, it's almost like you'd have, you know, in this room here, you've, you've, you've three separate tables. And at one, they're just talking about you know, how do we want to keep pace with European legislation? How do we want to keep pace with um, our own organizational goals that our investors and our stakeholders are looking for and that our customers are demanding? And at another table further away, you have the delivery team and they're the design teams and the engineers. And they're saying, well, we had assumed that here in Ireland, we would be getting our steel from you know, the wonderful electric arc furnaces in um, Port Talbot with a high proportion of um, recycled content steel. So they're talking about the really technical stuff and they're not getting that. So they're finding that the the assumptions that they originally made aren't there. So they can't hit their goals. They're starting Mm -hmm. to talk about, well, where else can we source this steel from? And they're looking at Belgium and they're looking at Spain. So a very technical discussion is happening in the other corner. But how do you tie the two of those together? And that's kind of where we're seeing a role for, they're called different things. And there's a number of, of tenders here in, in, in Ireland for the role. And it's called the carbon coordinator, uh, or it's called the sustainability champion. But it's that person that ties together the, the kind of the policy objectives of an organization mm. with the technical delivery. And what I've seen happen in organizations is that you know, at a board level, you have these really motivated, enthusiastic people that have set up these wonderful ideas and these frameworks, but they've never communicated that down the line. So that when you come from the boardroom, you've been given a task to decarbonize an asset. But then when you actually visit it, you find that every floor has a different tenant with their own energy systems. Yeah. The You open up a, a duct that you're going to put a new ventilation system through and you find there's no fireproofing for it. <laughs> um 
you know, and you find that when you look at the meters, the submeters, nobody has ever mapped them. They don't know where they go. For all intents and purposes, they could be plugged into the house next door for power. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the challenge is you kind of need this to trickle down. And that's why we say there's just really three tables here. There's one table that's strategy and ESG and it talks about risk and materiality and it talks about impact and it talks about you know pricing the, f- the future um, value at risk of the portfolio or the assets and at the other technical table on the far side of the room they're talking about materials you know they're talking about strategies how much glass you know to your point can you use uh, winter time solar gain to reduce your heating load how do you cut down your summertime solar gain to reduce cooling load? Can you use mixed mode, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. All of these kind of issues around energy efficiency and increasingly including social, societal factors. So mm. how can you make a happier building? You know, how can you make a building that people want to come and work in your office because it's a cool building? You know, it's not a, a one of these copy and paste uh, kind of modern office blocks. It's, it's got something interesting. It's a repurposed old warehouse or bakery building. That kind of thing is, 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 is coming to the fore. So in between the two, the technical delivery and the strategy, you have that integration. And that's a new role for uh, a new, I suppose, consultant, yet another consultant. And that's what, that's what you're doing basically now. That's, that's, at a crux, that's what we're doing. But how we do it is we say, okay, carbon's very esoteric. It's very... You know, it's it's whatever you want it to be. It's very difficult to see this anything. But we say, look, when we talk about carbon, you know, we, we, we're going to give it to you in the language of cost. So we're going to convert that, not into the cost that you're saving in year 20, but what that's worth to you now. So we're not going to advise on decisions unless they have a benefit in the, in the, in the medium term. And so we convert everything into cost. When you're doing optioneering, so when you're looking at, should I do A, B, C, or D, you know, my architect is telling me that I should focus on the fabric and increase insulation in the roof. My M&E people are telling me that I should use heat recovery uh, systems and, and you know, I have, I have other consultants then coming in and saying I should be using off-site renewables. So how do I process all of this? And we'll say, well, put it on the balance sheet. And that's really that kind of carbon cost lens, really, of saying, you know, if, if it doesn't wash its face then can you really do it? And when, when you talk about sustainability, like we're all a group of people that, you know, we love it, we understand the need for it. But if there isn't a business case, then it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. But this is how you get to a point where everyone's speaking the same language. Yeah. If you're talking money, then everyone everyone's listening for a start. And everyone, well, it's just numbers, isn't it? Everyone gets it. So when you talk about cost... Um, in terms of carbon, are you talking about a, a cost per ton of carbon, or are you talking about uh, savings in energy costs that may reside, uh, arise from from from, uh, from carbon? Are you talking about you know other benefits, uh, uh, you know, so-called co-benefits, or what are you talking about? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a number of ways to do it, but we kind of tend to aggregate it into one one graph, and we call that kind of the the carbon abatement curve and really that allows you to see every measure plotted on on that graph uh, looking at the the cost benefit versus the amount of carbon that's been reduced so you can immediately and what often happens there is that you'll have 
you, you'll come up with a, a register of opportunities and you might have 20 really good ideas coming from designers and clients. But when you say, okay, how much does that cost over? And we don't go out to 2050. We just say over how long does, does M&E equipment last? So we might say over 20 years, what are all the options? What about, um, here's one, let's just reduce the depth of downstands in concrete, take 30% off the concrete, don't change the mix. What impact does that have? You might have another one then, what's the, the value of putting PV on the roof? And what you tend to find is that some of the, you know, some of the, some of the what is traditionally thought of as the easy wins are not, and some of the other items um, can be. Uh, particularly when you put the sequencing in, that you should really do the hard work first and leave the easy wins to the other side of, of, of 2035. But what you find is that you can come back and there's just, just one figure, and that is your cost benefit. So that's your net present value of investment. That's what that investment is worth to you now. And some items will be above the line and some below the line. So below the line means you're kind of spending more than you should for the benefit, but all the items above the line, you should definitely do those now. What changes the whole equation, though, is if you start projecting out the future cost of carbon. So some companies will say, look, we know that in, in past 2030, we're going to be paying 180 uh, per tonne of carbon. Let's price that in now. And that can completely change the, the whole dynamics of, of the equation. Just to be clear, you're saying past the year 2030 rather than because it sounded like past 2030, the standard <laughs> to me. Sorry. No. Uh, okay, grand. Past the year 2030. That's my stupidity. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, no. It's, 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 and that, look, that, is, that gets back to the, the, the whole discussion here is it's just around that common language that, you know, it's, it's so easy to, to, to veer into jargon. And mm. like, in a way, I think you said it, Jeff, you're like, I think some people like jargon because it gives them that kind of invincibility. You know, it's 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 like they're you know they have their own kind of Hogwarts special place and <laughs> spells and incantations. But like at the heart of it, when you when you when you boil it right down, you know, there's there as I said, you can boil it. It can be five simple steps, and I think we forget sometimes that you know we we take the common sense out of it, and mm. and really like we have. We, we have a whole set of sustainability and ESG targets. But what I find is that if you concentrate first on the one that's going to be the most challenging, which is decarbonization and staying uh, on course on those uh, Paris agreed uh, sectoral thresholds, if yeah. you kind of plot against those, I'm not saying you have to always be under the line, but you just have to be uh, on a trajectory to intercept it at, the, at, at a certain time. That once you have you know, mapped yourself against where the industry is going to go, then you can safeguard the value of your your buildings or your your investments and future-proof them. And that might be just working out that you have a, a, a certain spend of money that you can put in every five years you'll do certain you'll do certain measures. But the yeah so for I suppose the experience from Denmark, Denmark had a bit of a head start uh, on us with, um, with with measuring carbon for new buildings and retrofits. So for for new building retrofits in Denmark, they already had a set of guidance and they tested that against buildings. So similar to what the Irish Green Building Council are mm. doing with their Indicate project, 
they're, they're, they're t- they took 80 buildings and they looked at the LCAs and they said, what's achievable here? And they used that to set, to set guidance. And from that, uh, they were able to set best practice standards. And eventually this year, they were able to set a regulatory target. It's amazing. And they combine, uh, from, I remember I was sp- spoke to, uh, is it Harpa Burgess' daughter? Or uh, was mutilating her, <laughs> mutilating her surname there, uh, who's sort of centrally involved in that, an academic who's uh, involved in it. And as I understand it, the way they're articulating their targets are, it's like a whole life carbon target that includes a single figure that combines both, am I right with this, both embodied carbon and operational carbon? Is that right, do you know, Danish? I thought that was what they were doing. It is. Now, they, they, they use different uh, modules or different scopes than the UK would, but it is a kind of an aggregated score, and it's divided into 60 years. So it gives them a budget. So they have a budget of, you know, 12 kilograms of carbon dioxide per metre squared per year. And we'd be familiar with that in Ireland the UK as kind of... 750 kilograms of, of, of carbon per meter squared. Okay, and are they assuming 50-year lifespans or 80 years or what is it, you know? They're 60, but uh, oh, interesting. Ramball have done a really good um, study where they've taken the 10 or 12 different, I suppose, frameworks and procedures that are used for mapping or benchmarking life cycle carbon, mm. and they've shown how they compare with each other. And, and, and generally... You know, if you have 14 or 15 different scopes, you know, three of the scopes are for upstream supply chain manufacturing and distribution. And at the other end, then you've designed for disassembly and and benefits outside of the LCA, Mm. like sequestration. So like using timber. But if you look at all those, all the different systems and frameworks have different approaches. So we found it very difficult to kind of map the buildings that we're looking at in Denmark against the buildings that we're doing in Ireland or the the UK because it's like comparing a a soccer score to a cricket score. They're using different (laughs) scoring mechanisms. Mm. Um, They might be both great games. You've both gone to see a great game, but they've got completely different... We need to create new sports. Anybody who's read Calvin and Hobbes? um, (laughs) There's a game that Calvin and Hobbes played together. Calvin's a little boy and he's got this stuffed toy tiger who uh, comes to life whenever no one else is around in the strips, you know. Um, and they came up with a sport called Calvin Ball, um, which I think it's got, a, it's got a baseball bat, an American football. I think there's some, some flags and stuff involved. <laughs> um, and the rules change, basically, uh, whenever they feel like it. <laughs> there Sounds you go. Familiar. That's what we mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like the other, the other cartoon where they said, you know, we've got 22 competing standards Let's kind of let's harmonize these into one standard, and a year later we've got twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. Yeah. I think that's the that's the difficulty. But what's actually quite useful with what the EU is doing in terms of taxonomy and levels is that you can kind of see that certain themes are are evolving, and it can be the case that you can be very agnostic. Well, I don't think you can be very agnostic. But you can be agnostic <laughs> yeah. about... Careful now, in Ireland, you can't be talking like that. <laughs> Sorry, six Hail Marys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can, you know, you, you, you have... Um, um, you, you've all these different standards that apply to a project. So, you know, going from your, your, your lead to your GRESP to all of these various acronyms, all with different reporting systems. But when you boil them all down, the themes are the same. You've got... 
climate mitigation, which is carbon and energy. Um, you've got adaptation, which is future proofing for the impact the climate will have on you. Uh, you've got all the societal factors, you know, like um, uh, creating indoor indoor comfort and and open space and accessibility, and uh, other things like water, air quality, pollution. But they all they're all common to pretty much every framework. So once you actually div- break it down to to certain themes, then you find that the indicators can be common. So what we found is that. You know, we, we, we don't fixate on, on using LEED or BRIAM for sustainability. Um, but we have found one that is particularly applicable for retrofit, and that's DNGB. Oh, and it's very one. closely aligned with the EU levels. And the EU levels is, is, is very much tied into the taxonomy because they're all based on um, EU legislation mm. and EU, EU directives. So almost the, the, the bespoke sustainability framework for an organization or for development is almost better than than using all of the others you know so um Mm. so with with integration what that allows us to do is to give high level themes to the, the the strategy people and then we convert that into metrics for the delivery team and, and to what extent with this, because one of the things that I worry about with all of these things, especially when you talk about being flexible to different approaches, is to what extent there's real accountability about the actual end results, about how the actual building that, that uh, emanates from this process uh, performs um, and how the users of the building find and so on. You know, how, where do you think that's at? How far along are we in terms of, of starting to kind of uh, to accept the need to address that properly? Uh, because ultimately, that's where the book has to stop. No, that's, that's really interesting. But I suppose a building isn't a static thing that arrives fully, fully fledged uh, in any particular day. I mean, you even talk about the difference between the landlord and tenant split. The landlord yeah. might have a very ordinary building, but the tenant might fit their building out to to hit every you know green badge and every um, best practice uh, uh, threshold going. Like with a building, a lot of the decisions are locked in five or six years ago. Yeah. So it's very difficult to influence that as the building goes on. So really what we're talking about is the buildings that are on the drawing board now, the buildings where you know, they're looking at the feasibility of a certain site. They're the, the projects really that have the potential to be lower carbon and, and, and designed to eliminate the performance gap. So we're seeing mm. that in London where um, neighbours... Uh, oh, that Australian system, neighbours, yeah. ...is yeah. used, yeah. So, you know, they, there they say everybody needs good neighbours in their buildings, but... Um, <laughs> Is that the oh, Bill Borders and Adrian Lehman one? Uh, they, 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 they do that? Uh, I can't remember if they were involved in it. They have certainly talked it up. Um, I think they were. They may have had some involvement in it. But it was a successful commercial uh, energy rating. So this, well, not just energy rating, is it? Uh, it, it has its flaws, but you know there are there are other synonymous codes to it. Sibsi um, have some codes and Ashbury have some. Yeah. But generally what it means is that you put the focus on your, your building commissioning mm. and it's what you're measuring is your commission building. Mm. So it, it's, 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 it's more realistic. And I think as, um, as ESG reporting becomes an annual 
effect and you're asked to improve your carbon score of a building, the performance in use becomes more more important. And and the EPBD, that's where its focus is. It's on on um, measured carbon. And the industry has a difficulty with, you know, with with smart buildings and with measuring buildings. Yeah. It, it it is difficult to do at the time. It should be that you can, you know, pick a supplier and have a very r- robust data. And you know, you are seeing that with uh, the likes of Hibernian, who have um, companies involved in 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 measuring that. People like. Um, uh, cool power, for instance. And, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, Hibernia were the guy, I forgot the name of the guy from Hibernia. He's Neil. Pre- Neil, that's him. He's yeah. impressive and really yeah, seems to yeah. be focused on real world performance. Archie, I'd say for the projects that are five or six years um, in, you know, from, from, from the start of, 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 a, of a pen being uh, touching paper, um, we need to create a new consultant for these. And this is um, the new build retrofit, new build retrofit consultant. Yeah. Well, look, re- repurposing. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> There's already. I remember acting as a as an assigned certifier and coming into a meeting and saying, "Not a, we don't have enough chairs. <laughs> Not another consultant." So it's. <laughs> yeah, we need bigger bigger tables. There's maybe there's a, a an industry in that. Yeah. <laughs> bigger bigger porta cabins for site meetings. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it's, it's fascinating. Are you optimistic, Archie, about the direction of things? Uh, uh, um, you know, you've been at this a long time as well now. I mean, I know you've got, this, you've probably got a picture of Dorian Gray there because somewhere in your, in your attic because you, you've got, uh, you know, uh, you're a youthful kind of uh, I think Jeff is flirting with you. <laughs> no, that's just that's just AI. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, are you seeing changes now uh, in your in this, this new company? Um, uh, you know, in, in your work with them, that, that would make you optimistic about the direction we're traveling in now. Well, I think there's two speeds. So I, I tend to, you know, the 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 people we interact with are generally the the leaders. You know, but you know, you do hear. I do meet up with, um, you know, people in the industry that are are dealing with some other organisations, and they're quite perplexed that so little is happening, and that that its sustainability is such a hard sell mm. for you know the smaller house builders. The, the PLC level, they're very motivated, enthusiastic, and they're doing wonderful things. I see like, you know, uh, contractors like Cisc. And architects like RKD, like the level of academic research they're doing is, mm. is phenomenal, mm. you know, and and the way that they're using modern methods of construction. But again, it's a it's a, it's, it's a two speed uh, thing, you know. And you have on one side you have, you know, Europe moving towards more and more ambitious targets, but on the other side then you have kind of the anti woke, anti ESG, and that mm. seems to be getting stronger. Well, that could so, happen in Europe too. The, these well, European yeah, elections, with these elections yeah. yeah. So it's um. Like you have to focus on, on on being optimistic, but it's it's not the kind of the top fifteen percent that are going to drive this. It's the the rump in the middle that we have to see that needle nudge. And my difficulty is that for you a lot of stick those, a needle in the rump of the construction industry area. Yeah, yeah. Well, stick a carrot and a stick in there too. Oh, Jesus. Are, <laughs> Hang so, on, you know, st- sounds like one of those games he used to play with. Uh, you're not talking about sticking a carrot. He's going to drop that. Stick uh, a carrot in the rump. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. Did you edit that out? Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, we should wrap up. Actually. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I would. 
love to talk to you about actually putting money prices on carbon, as you referenced it earlier. But well, we definitely don't have time 56. for that now. <laughs> so um, yeah. we'll fix up another time. Well, who paid for lunch, by the way? Is that going to be on my tab? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll work that out. Um, yeah, i got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining us, Archie. It's been a, a pleasure. And you're a face off of LinkedIn. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to meet you in person. Um, we good? Yeah, do you Absolutely. want to go through the... We can record that later, or do you want to go no, through we'll the No, we'll do that now. Um, join ACAN, join the ACB, join the IGBC. Ladies, check her own space. Advertise in Passive House Plus. Subscribe. All of those things. Talk to us. Check Lloyd's Substack, although he will be moving from Substack at some point. These are all in the show notes, aren't they? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Archie's details will be in the show notes, so you can follow him too. And uh, what's the company you're working at now? I don't think we've even named them. Cosmos. So it's uh, Cosmos.company. Yeah, the Danes, as we were uh, referring to them earlier. Anything else? Have no. I missed anything? No. Oh, um, sorry. Talk what? to us about consultancy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk to us. And... Uh, Rate the podcast, please, if if you wouldn't mind. Five stars only, as Dan says. Yeah, exactly. Because the it's all the algorithm cares about. Um. All right. Big up. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Bye.